and president of Four Day Ray. Thanks for doing this, man. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well, Jeff. Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I love the aesthetic of this place. You guys got the, the restaurant, which is fantastic, by the way. Thank you. Uh, my wife and I come here very much often um, and kind of explore all the different things that you guys do from a craft menu standpoint, as well as the 25 beers that you rotate here, which are all awesome. Thank you for giving me some taste there. But for those that may be unfamiliar with Four Day Ray, what is the origin story that brought you guys to this point? Yeah, so uh, we you know, were looking for a spot and in a community that was willing to support us and you know, vice versa. And you know, Fishers uh, was really developing their downtown area back in like you know, 15 and 16. You know, we opened in 16, and so, you know, they, they wanted something like this down here to, you know, start the growth and really be just an anchor, you know, for what was going to go on. And so um, it just worked out really well, and, you know, they've been, the city of Fishers has been great to work with, you know, this entire time. And so, you know, they've been a really good partner in just helping us navigate what's going on down here, and, um, you know, the Spark Fishers is going on now. So they've really activated this area, and it just it just helps, you know, from a standpoint of just driving more business and just making this area feel like a downtown and you know very walkable and things like that. So, and then you know we're in the Nickel Plate District, so the railroad runs right over there, and uh, you know four day array is a slang term for a rail employee that habitually calls off work one day a week. Uh, so we're about three day weekends and. You know, everybody works hard. You know, it's not just, you know, one aspect of uh, the community. And so everybody deserves to take some time and just enjoy a beer. That's some fantastic. good food. Yeah. That's fantastic. I mean, you guys, uh, one of the things I love about the, the craft brew industry, and Indiana's no different, is that all the breweries have unique names of their beers. Um, I'm a big fan of your Air Raid and Track Jumper, but what goes into the mindset of kind of creating these, these names that you guys that have that fulfill your lineups? Well, it's interesting. It's more. Uh, it's it's very much the creative process. Um, like if you just try to sit down and think of a name for a beer, I mean, it's a horrible experience. Like it just there's pressure, and you're really trying to overanalyze it almost, if you will. So you know, we have a, a board uh, in the back over there, and so if we're having a conversation or something's going on, and something kind of sparks, you know, hey, that would be a good name for a beer. We'll write it down uh, because. You know, I mean, that, and that's part of the creative process, and sure. and it's things that we're involved with and doing every day. Um, like we commissioned our canning line in October, and I mean, the learning curve on it was pretty steep. And so, you know, there are some things that have happened along the way that are just really frustrating. And so, uh, you know, there's different components on that, and it's like, you know, we got a lot of beer names out of just that experience because it was so frustrating. <laughs> I mean, we just we needed some sort of outlet, right? And so right. we've got. You know some of the creative names that came out of that. So, so we have we just keep a board, and you know that's how we do it, and it's it's related to what's going on in our daily experience here in the journey of what we're doing. Gotcha. You mentioned the canning process. Have you seen that jump off? And this, I mean, a lot of the breweries that I've had the opportunity to sit down with, they say the cans have really been the jump off point since strange times started to take place last year. Is that, yeah, has that well, been the same for you? It has. You know, we were fortunate enough to be in Kroger uh, and other grocery and uh, liquor store outlets, uh, you know, before the pandemic hit. Gotcha. And so it just increased our volume. You know, nobody was drinking uh, on-premise anymore, and so all consumption had moved to off-premise, and we were already there. So it was an easy vehicle for us to just keep pushing the volume. Um, and, you know, we saw very quickly that, you know, we really... 
we're doing this enough to pay for our own machine and be able to you know get into this full time. And so you know we're working on getting printed cans for Blood Orange Blonde. Uh, we're at the volume now where we can you know buy a whole truckload of them, which you know that's where you need to be. It's a minimum you know yeah. to do that. As but everything else still remains sleeved to this point. But you know the volume's getting there, and you know we haven't seen anything in the cans slow down. Uh, thankfully, and then you know, on-premise consumption is coming back. So, you know, I would expect us to you know get another bump this year, just because we're going to have everything firing on all cylinders. Fantastic! I yeah. mean, it's, I think everybody has their own way of finding beer, craft beer. Everybody kind of remembers the first one that gave them a different taste. What was the first craft beer that got the hooks in that said, "Ah, eh, craft beer is going to be a bigger part of my life." Uh, as the years go on. Yeah, so when I went to college, I didn't even really like beer. Um, my dad just drank Coors Light or, you know, whatever, and um, I ended up being the social at my fraternity, and so, I mean, we were always drinking, like, Bush Light Draft or something like that, and uh, there's a bar in Lafayette, I went to Purdue, and it's called the Knickerbocker. They say they're the oldest bar in the state, you know, you know, um, uh, the Noodle says Slipping they're the oldest, yet. you know, yeah. who knows, whatever. But anyway... So I had a Chimay Red at the Knickerbocker, and I decided that day that I'm like, wow, I can actually drink this. Mm. Um, And so that was probably 95-ish, and then I started homebrewing in 97. Okay. And uh, yeah, so it was a Chimay Red. Gotcha. It's great beer. So you have a background in homebrewing, so that kind of dovetails into my next question, is because you guys have 25 different varieties that you do, and those are your successes, right? Uh, coming from a home brewer and then talking about your process of what you guys do here, give me a, a, a blend that maybe was you were trying something new and it just was DOA when you put it to your lips. Is there any fun stories you got around a failures? Because obviously we all love and highlight your, your successes. Oh, yeah. You, um, you know, I would say it wasn't necessarily a flavor profile that I would say that I came up with that wasn't good I mean I definitely had some batches that I had to throw away because my sanitation wasn't you know up to par (laughs) right and um, you know dumping you know I mean when you spend eight hours in a day and you're at home and you're you know it's a hobby and then you have to dump it I mean it's not a really good it's not a very good feeling at all (laughs) and you know and then at at the same time you know I've got a culinary uh, associates degree and so I enjoy cooking too and I mean it's just not in my you know just my own um, I don't know my quality assurance I guess you could say I I just couldn't serve something to somebody that I wouldn't drink I mean it has alcohol in it right but I mean that's just not good enough so you know there were there were several occasions where I had to dump some stuff down the drain because I just I wasn't practicing or somehow I got infected and it's just like well you know, we're dumping this out. So I'm not afraid to have quality control and make sure that we're putting out a product that's that's good. So that's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, um, throughout your career, you've done a lot of different things. You're you know you mentioned to me before the podcast. You had theater background, broadcasting, you did marketing for a bit, software. Now, brewery owner and operator is uh, this is a fun question to ask because there's a lot of different things that obviously go into running a business, more or less a brewery, but. Is it uh, different than you thought it would be? Uh, yes, you know the, and it's interesting. There's um, there's a difference between like if our location was in Marion County versus us being in Hamilton County. I mean the differences in the habits and the way people think about craft beer just you know between those two counties is completely different. Um, and so some of the things that I thought 
uh, you know, didn't necessarily reign true here, and then things that work here, I mean, there's no way that, you know, they would necessarily work down there either. So, I mean, it, 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 those have been interesting learning uh, opportunities. Like, for instance, you know, people, for whatever reason, are just more conditioned to take out a six-pack here versus drinking fresh beer out of a growler. So, I mean, and that one for me was a head scratcher and it's just like, oh, all right, well, I mean, you know, so until we started really canning and providing the product, um, you know, we, I just was very surprised at how low our growler sales were. And, you know, we run a $6 special on Fridays, you know, just, you know, like everybody else does, but, um, it's still, it's just lower than what you would think it would be. But, you know, I think again, people are conditioned just to, to pick up a six pack and, you know, they're not thinking like, oh, wow, I can just go get a fresh you know, draft beer and just bring it home. So, you know, it's it's just little things like that. Is That was that was just, I'm like, wow, I, you know, I don't really, I didn't expect that. And so, you know, you just roll with the punches and try to provide what people want. So, gotcha. I mean, that's what any business is about, you know, sure. just providing that experience. So. Sure. You know, as someone in my position that sits every day as an advisor, you know, when I meet a client for the first time, I'm always trying to, Educate whether it's guide or counsel, that there's just four challenges to kind of generating and building wealth, whether it's getting organized or finding lost opportunities. So you guys sit and you run your team here. What are some of the challenges that you guys face? As you mentioned that you go through a process back there with the names. I assume it's, it's similar for the beer. So what I would say is what's a challenge you got you and the team face in kind of creating the next great beer that you hope will get on the way your core beers have done as you're trying to develop something in a, in a seasonal yeah. perspective. You know, I think there's it's an education of the consumer, I think, is is definitely a challenge, right? Because there's, there's people who want to know every little thing about what it is that you did. And then you have people who are like, look, dude, I just, just, I want you to just serve me a beer. Like, I don't, I don't need to know you know, what the temperature was, you know, that you fermented this at or, you know, whatever it might be. Right. And then that's one of those things you have to learn because, like, you know, as soon as people's eyes start rolling back in their head, I mean, you're just boring them to death. Right. And they don't really care. They just right. they just want to drink a beer. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think that aspect of it is, like, how you make it interesting um, and then meet people where they're, where they're at uh, with the flavor profiles that we're creating. And, you know, a lot of the stuff that we do, I mean, it wouldn't necessarily be something that I would order, but... I mean, again, we're in the, you know, we want to stay in business. And so we're going to provide the customer and our guests what they want. And, yeah, I mean, the Blood Orange Blonde is a great example. We tried to make it seasonal and people are like, are you kidding me? Where is that beer? And I can't believe we don't, you know, we're going to have to wait until next summer to get it. And so, I mean, that was kind of the beginning of that beer. And it's like, well, I guess we're just going to brew this year round. And, you know, it's our number one seller. So we try to learn things from that. And, you know, we've got... um, We've got the strawberry uh, lemonade blonde coming out. Gotcha. Uh, that was this one, right? Yes, it was. Okay. Yeah, so it's uh, it's an easy drinking summer beer. It's it's you know four point eight percent alcohol. Um, you know, I think it's a little bit smooth. It's more smooth than I would say than the blood oranges because it doesn't have quite as much citrus because you have the strawberry that's yeah, balancing it I out. Def- I can definitely taste the strawberry. Yeah, and, and so it adds kind of a creaminess to it. Um, so. You know, based on blood orange, I mean, we're going to try this out and just see, you know, how it goes and see if we can get another, you know, beer that's going to perform as well as the blood orange. And the thing about the blood orange, you know, you have craft beer drinkers, and, you know, and it's a pretty competitive market. And um, there was a book out 
quite a few years ago called Blue Ocean Strategy. And, you know, it talked about like competing for this small pool of consumers, right? And so there's so much blood in the water. Like, how do you get outside of all of the frenzy of, that's going on? And that's kind of where craft beer is because there's, you know, 15%, 16%, depending on where you're at in the country, sure. of people are consuming craft beer and would say that's their first choice. And so, I mean, that's not a very big market as far as cons- overall consumption goes. So how do I how do I come up with something or how do I, you know, develop something that's going to perform outside of that small, you know, um, percentage? And, you know, Blood Orange is that. Like, we can sell it at an American Legion or, you know, it's just some bar, you know, wherever, and people are enjoying it. And it, and it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's not necessarily just in the craft space. It's, it's also outside that. So we're, we're looking for more. And obviously with all the fruited things that are on the market and the seltzers and, you know, all that stuff, I mean, it's, it's just a trend that is really hot right now, you know, from a fruited standpoint. So, you know, we're trying to get someone to pick this up and be like, oh, wow, you know, it's not bitter. I can drink that. It's great on a, a summer day. It's not overly sweet, so I can have a few of them. And, you know, that's that's kind of where we're at right now with what we're trying to do from a strategy standpoint. And, you know, the blood orange is definitely, you know, I mean, obviously craft beer people like it, but it also appeals to macro drinkers as well. So, gotcha. Yeah. Now, you guys opened up and established yourself with the restaurant. Was that always something that you wanted to have connected to the brewery was the restaurant because absolutely not (laughs) (laughs) no so i so i own i've owned uh i do into dick's bodacious barbecue when those guys were around and um you know i went through bankruptcy over the whole situation because it was just too big and you know all kinds of learning opportunities and something like that right um i mean obviously you know failure does teach you a lot and so i didn't have to I wanted to make sure that I didn't repeat that, you know, here, which was great, you know. So I had uh, a jumping-off point, but none of us wanted to open a restaurant. Yeah. But you know, we were really struggling to find, you know, and when we opened, a lot of the breweries were just like, yeah, we're doing uh, industrial space. Like, who cares about the food? You can order in, like, whatever. But I mean, I had a culinary background, and you know, my original concept, I still wanted to have like a small kitchen and do like street tacos and still have food there, but it wasn't going to be anything like this. Well, when we secured this space and sort of everything came together of what exactly it was we were going to do, you know, I had to break the news to everybody. I'm like, guys, like we've got to have a restaurant here. Like there is no way that we're going to open this place and not have a restaurant. Like it's just, it's just not feasible. And so, you know, everybody kind of got their head around that and then so you know we just moved on from there and um, you know it's been great and you know it's like it's it's awesome it's great to have the food concept along with the beer because I mean that's community and you know that's what we're about and you know people just they stick around and they enjoy themselves yeah that's fantastic because that that actually leads to my next question which is you know you mentioned nickel plate starting out as as someone that's in an advisor position you get to enjoy the lives of the clients you represent and as you guys sit here as a brewery and a restaurant in a in an area how do you guys connect yourselves to the community the local area 
Um, I'm a big fan of all the charitable stuff that you guys do. Thanks. Um, especially since uh, I'm actually a board member for the Indiana Diaper Bank. So oh, nice. I'm very happy that you guys are choosing to uh, help us out in December this year. So thank you for that. But if you wouldn't mind giving me kind of a sense to, you said you mentioned community and things like that. What is being a part of the local community here and being, being out there and have people know that you're being a steward for the area in which you operate? What does that mean to you guys here at Fort A. Ray? I mean, it's one of one of the things that's really important to us in, in the sense of, you know, if we support the community, I mean, that's, you know, we're looking for the reciprocation in that sense. And, and not necessarily, um, I mean, it's just, you know, if we can run a successful business and be able to contribute, uh, we, we helped out, um, I think it was the, uh, the lunch program, the summer lunch program last year. I mean, we gave $10,000 uh, to HSE. You know, during the pandemic, and you know, we could do it, right? And so, and that was only because that everybody supported us while things were shut down, and people were coming in, and you know, they were here, and you know, it was all we could do was to go, and you know, we were figuring it out, and everybody was patient with us because you know, to go is not really what we do here. Um, but you know, it worked out, and so we were able to give back and be like, hey, thank you, you know, you guys were generous, and this is what we're going to do, and so it's things like that, and the tap for a cause. Uh, you know, I, you know, my past restaurant experience, both in ownership and management. You know, the dine to donate thing. I mean, it, you know, I don't know why it's still around. I mean, I've never been a part of anything that's been very successful. Mm-hmm. I mean, generally, you know, you pass out the flyers and people come in. It's like a slow night because you want to try to drive traffic, and you know, you end up giving eighty dollars, you know, to whatever organization that's there, and you know, that's just not that. There's not that much impact that's going on. Right. So the tap for a cause. You know, we want the charity to be involved that we're, you know, giving to. We want them to help, you know, be able to educate people that are coming in. So we give them a platform to be able to talk to people. So they're over in the uh, waiting area, so they can talk to people. They can give away, you know, whatever they want or just have conversations with people. And we run it all month long. And there are no, there's no flyers. There's yeah. no, it's just, you know, if you if you want to give back and you, you're dining somewhere, like, you can just come in on a Tuesday and, like, you're, you know, that's what you're doing and you're helping support. So um, that that's just way less complicated and there's so much more benefit that we can, you know, uh, be able to just help with. And, and I mean, we're, we give back anywhere between like $900 and $1,500 a month, you know, to the charity that we partner with, you know, that month. So that's, there, there's a lot more that can be done with that than, sure, the, you sure. know, the $80 on a night or whatever. So it's been awesome. And, you know, and I think people appreciate it and you know we you know get back really nice feedback and um and we're able to do it and and it's just the support of everybody around here that's able to do it and you know we try to stick to you know fishers as much as we can and then just kind of close to home because um, you can't help everybody right and, you know right. you have to to try to do what you can and you know i think being more um you know diligent and just um selective you know you can just pull your dollars together and make more of an impact for fewer people and, and just try to do it that way gotcha and uh there was one time i came here in the winter and you guys had one of the most interesting concepts whose idea was the igloo garden and how did that come about because for somebody that lives in the midwest right it's it snows it's frigid you guys got a, a wonderful outdoor space so 
Whose idea was the Igloo Gardens, and uh, how did that come about, man? It's, yeah, so I've always wondered this. My so. What, yeah, so one of my uh, my business partners he saw them being used at a couple of other venues in um, a couple other cities when he was, you know, just doing some dra- driving and traveling, and so you know we saw them a couple years ago, and. We were trying to get them implemented. The fire marshal had some issues with them just from a, you know, just like, hey, there's a heater in there and it's an enclosed space with plastic. <laughs> like, um, this doesn't seem like it's going to go well if something really bad happens. And I mean, I just, I guess I couldn't disagree yeah. with it. Yeah, but, you know, it's yeah. like, ah, come I'm on. Trying new things, man. You know, all you need to do is knock it over and it's going to fall over and it's going to be fine. But, um, so finally we got past that hurdle and we were able to get those going, um, you know, we were probably a little bit late to the game, but, you know, people, uh, I think for the most part, really enjoyed themselves, you know, yeah. and you got, you know, especially when there's snow falling and, you know, we started in January. I mean, you know, we could definitely start them. We're going to start them in November okay. you know, this year, but, um, yeah, I mean, people enjoy themselves. It's a good time. Um, it's just a different experience. So, yeah, I mean, why not? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that methodology. Why not, man? Um, well, obviously, the, the beer scene in Indiana is pretty robust. There's tons of craft brewers in and around Indiana. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot. If you had to pick a, a brewery, to, a brewer's beer to drink outside your own, mm-hmm. who would it be and why? Uh, so there's a couple that come to mind. Uh, Googman House. Uh, okay. They're down off of 16th Street over by the old Bush Stadium. Okay. Uh, they have... I can't remember what the race team was, but it was an old race team um, headquarters, okay. uh, basically. So they're in the process of renovating that. So uh, I like their stuff. They've got um, some juicy New Englands that are really good. And then um, I'm also a big fan of Prime Evil up in Noblesville. Yeah. Uh, Tim and those guys, they... Uh, well, I th- this would be a good time, man. I, I, guess, uh, I guess I should rep... Uh, look Tim at that. I mean, Tim and Nate for helping me out. There man. you go. So, look at that. You got so, a t-shirt. Good timing, man. Right? Yeah. It's good timing, guys. And we did not plan that. I not mean. at all. This is totally... <laughs> totally... <laughs> by accident. That is so hey, it was, funny. It's getting warm in here, so why not? Yeah. Why not, man? So, yeah, yeah, so I, their stuff is good. Yeah, I like the uh, I like the the German brew house styles that they do. I mean, yep. uh, uh, I live up in Noblesville, so they were oh, like okay. my neighborhood spot. So in there for trivia nights and got to know those guys. So they're great dudes, man. Yeah, uh, and uh, they're episode one. So uh, oh wow, yeah. that's yeah, so, super cool. Yeah, so I was I was super local in my neighborhood spot for the first one. So right, that was, that was fun, man. It's uh, well, if we could go outside the sphere of Indiana, is you know being from home brewer up to what you guys have created here at. At uh, at Four Day Ray, I mean, is there any of the early brewers that you look to for inspiration? And and uh, if there's any particular one, why would it be? I mean, most people look at Sierra Nevada, or they look at what um, Sam Adams was doing early on, and now we've just exploded the California scene mm-hmm. all, in yeah. Florida, where I'm from. I mean, um, High Lies and the, those guys are are getting national. I find their beer up here now, so it's it's fun to see Cigar City and those guys so um but any national brands that as you were starting out that you look to for inspiration and you know i let's see so i started yeah so like 96 right craft beer so i would say you know definitely there wasn't as much availability as there is now like i mean man you can almost get anything shipped to you right great um so, you know, there were things like Pliny the Elder and, you know, the real iconic um, 
you know, just brands that you you couldn't get unless you traveled somewhere or someone brought it back for you. So that was, you know, that was an interesting thing that was going on at that time. And so that, you know, everything had this mystique about it. Like, and I think some of that's gone, you know, in that sense because everything is so readily available. And so it, it kind of almost, you know, sort of, you know, brings everything together and homogenizes it a little bit um, because everyone's tasting everything that everyone's doing as opposed to back then, you know, that it seemed more isolated, yeah. if that makes sense. Sure. Um, and I feel like there's there's a re, there's there's a regional kind of style to things like the IPA for sure. Like there's a Midwest IPA, right? It's got more caramel malt in it. Right. You know, it's not as um, just clean as some of the West Coast stuff that was coming out, and you know, and all that's obviously changed too. But um, I would say, like Allagash, um, I was a big Belgian fan. Obviously, oh, that yeah. was you know, uh, with with that being my first uh, craft beer, um, you know, as far as stateside goes, they were doing a, an amazing job. Omagong was doing a great job, and so I would say those guys, you know, from that standpoint, just doing Belgian beers here in America. Um, and to this day, I don't really think there's just not a lot of people that do it well, and it's really difficult to, to go compete with you know 800 year old yeast strains and in, in vessels that you're fermenting in that are sure. like you know two or three hundred years old. Like I mean, that's difficult to compete with. And you know, there's still some of my favorites, and I love you know just um, a good saison. And you know, if I could find a really good saison stateside, that would be great. And we just don't have the room to brew one, so it's, uh, you know. I, I liked Tim's beer to guard, though. It was really yeah, good. it was so good. It was nice. You know, it was funny because I was, uh, in my last episode, I, I talked with, uh, uh, with Nathan and Dave over at Taxman. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and he was talking about the word Saison and how maybe in Indiana, when you say Saison, it doesn't necessarily translate. <laughs> so they're trying to figure out different blends, but... Um, but that's interesting that you say that because I mean there's there's so many different types and now you're starting to see more breweries become beverage companies yeah do you guys see I mean obviously the strawberry is very akin to you know a seltzer in that regards but do you guys see you guys ever branching out beyond the likes of the craft beer because you're seeing some go the distillery route some go the seltzer route some go both um, do you guys see yourself moving towards that or are you just kind of try to maintain the, the beer focus I mean right now we don't have capacity to do anything else extra yeah. than what we're doing and what we're doing is selling and we're you know moving it out the door like if start if things started slowing down and we weren't moving product you know then it might be you know a question of well do we need to diversify or do something else but um, you know I mean everybody talks in business about taking your eye off the ball and you know there's a lot of shiny objects out there and you know I'm not saying that seltzers aren't going to be around for the long haul but I mean you know there it's not a beverage that particularly resonates with me yeah. and again I mean that, that that doesn't really matter because you have to you have to provide the consumer what they want but like does it belong on tap next to you know you know if you're at a bar somewhere does the seltzer belong on tap like I don't I don't really think so. Like, yeah. it's just, it, you know, it, it's a, you know, not, and I mean, I just, I don't get it personally. You know, I think they're chalky and they don't really have a lot of flavor. And when I'm drinking, I'm, I, I want, you know, the flavor. And so, you know, and if I'm not drinking beer, I love tequila. So that doesn't, you know, the none of that fits <laughs> into any of the, you sure. know, any of those canned things. So it's, gotcha. uh, you know, so I'm a flavor guy and, you know, and I, 
So I, I think we're just going to continue to stay the course and do what we're doing. And, you know, we don't really have a lot of space here either. Yeah. So some of those process things that go into making some of those other beverages, like we just don't have the space to do it. So, you know, it's both a choice and a, a constraint on space. Like, okay, well, we've got plenty of tank space to just keep doing the beer that we're doing and we're selling it and it's moving out of here. And if something slows down and we're just not, you know, making the, you know, making the cut, then, okay, we'll, we'll consider something else. But for right now, I mean, we're, we're selling everything that we're, we're making. So, you know, we're in a pretty good spot, thankfully. That's fantastic. Yeah. So one of the things I always like to uh, ask everybody I sit down with is, uh, you know, when I sit down with a client for the first time, I always try to identify kind of the why behind what they do. You know, if, if we were to sit down for another podcast three years from now, uh, Brian, what would you want Four Day Ray to accomplish that we could look back on and say, hey, we're on our path, we're doing what we set out to do, that first podcast episode we recorded? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'd say, you know, one of the things that we're working towards right now is statewide distribution. Okay. Um, we're, we have six distributors, and then we self-distribute in Hamilton County and sort of in this sort of northeast quadrant. Um, and so, you know, I would say that we're, we're looking to expand and be statewide. Um, and then there may be maybe like a Louisville expansion or, or something outside of the state um, to go along with that. Um, so I would say from you know, the brewery side, that would be, that'd be a good place to be. Uh, this, this game is all about volume um, because you know, although it doesn't take, you know, although it doesn't cost very much to brew the beer, uh, all of the other ancillary things that go into it do sure. cost a lot of money. And so the margins are slim and you need volume. You know, so that's, that's where it is. So if you don't have that and you don't have anywhere to distribute the beer, then you don't make any money unless you sell it. Right. So, you know, that's, that's important. And then I would say, you know, we're trying to figure out our, our uh, I guess I would say probably tap room or other brew pub strategy on where we might expand. Um, you know, obviously none of us wanted to open a restaurant in the first place when we did it. So, you know, opening another location that has another restaurant, it's like, oh my word, you know, do I really want to take that on? And, uh, you know, there, I mean, there were some things learned, you know, in this experience. And, you know, when I did the whole thing with Dick's Bodacious Barbecue, I mean, you can be undercapitalized, but you can also be overcapitalized and sort of let your vision and, you know, not have discipline and as far as what you're spending and the debt that you're taking on. Right. Because you have to pay it back. And it's like, well, yeah. what's the runway on that and how many years do we really want to be in this position? And, you know, and I think there are some things that, we overlooked on that in this in this project, and so you know if we when we do something else, we need to be smart about it. And so I would say, you know, maybe having one or two more locations, you know, in the next three years would be ideal, uh, and being able to do it smaller, and then just uh, have probably a brewing system at each one of those locations. So and then just be able to brew like the smaller batch stuff, like one-offs, because. Here we don't even have we don't even have room for a test uh, pilot system. So, gotcha. like when we're doing something, we're just like, all right, you know, this is based on everything else that we've done, and we've got an idea of what we're doing, and we're just brewing, you know, at yeah. least fifteen barrels. <laughs> so it better be good. And it's sure. like, oh my gosh, how long is it going to take us to get rid of this? So, you know, that's that's just that's just how it works right now. So yeah. I would say both those things, you know, look at those are both, you know, both aspects of the business that 
actual production brewery side, you know, statewide, possibly outside the state, and then you know, two or three other locations outside of here. I'd say we're doing pretty well. Fantastic. Now, obviously, you guys found a little niche right here in the Nickel Plate District. Is that something that attracts you when you look for other locations? It's kind of like a, a main on main or somewhere that's got like a small little downtown circuit, you know, similar to what maybe like a primeval guy, the primeval guys have, or even you go down to like Bargersville where Taxman is. It's kind of mm-hmm. they got this city block that's right. aching to them. Do you guys, are you guys attracted to something like that or would you kind of keep it in the realms of what trying to duplicate what you did here? Yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's great. And, it, and what, what fits with our brand is something that's authentic and has some character to it. I mean, I don't really ever see us opening in a strip mall. Like, that's just not, yeah. that's not what we're about. So, you know, we're more about, you know, like in Greenwood, like downtown Greenwood's a really good, you know, that'd be a really great spot. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's some character down there. And, um, and two, you know, when you were looking for something a little bit smaller, if you've already had some character built in, you know, there's just less to do, right? I mean, when you're building something from the ground up, it's like, okay, well, it's expensive to create a brick wall that really, you know, is, <laughs> you know, you want it to look like it's 100 years old, but, sure. you know, and that costs way more money than it does, yeah. like, to, you know, move into something. And so there's a lot of Carnegie libraries, you know, around. There's one in Brownsburg, um, stuff like that. That fits our personality uh, because we want people to feel comfortable when they walk in. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of those types of finishes and just that warm feel, you know, those types of buildings provide that. And when you drive into a strip mall, it's just not, you know, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. So that's not for us. So, you know, that that's definitely, definitely a consideration, you know, for our next location for sure. Well, I definitely think you guys are on the right path, man, because I love working with uh, clients that have a growth mindset or have abundance thinking. Not a scarcity mindset, right. but think with abundance, you know, and you guys have had a fantastic growth model over these years since you've opened up your doors here. And I think as you alluded to, cash can be king and cash can be a killer, yes. right? So managing that growth, everybody wants to grow, but doing it the right way. Right. Um, I think you guys are on the right path as far as figuring out maybe one or two or three. Um, I, I think, you know, as you, you said multiple times, you guys are almost at capacity here. So maybe it's you know, quickly approaching that you're going to start looking for sites and things like that. Is that, is that, have you kind of, you know, you mentioned Greenwood, is that kind of... Yeah, well, you know, and that would be more on the, that would be more on the brew pub side. As far as the brewery goes and the production side, um, you know, we have plenty of tank space. We can add one more tank. Yeah. Um, And so from a production standpoint and just actually physically uh, dealing with the beer itself, you know, we're fine. But it's all of the ancillary stuff. So, right. like, where am I going to put a truckload of cans in here? Like, and you know, if we want to have a centrifuge to help, you know, filter out some of the beer, mm-hmm. you know, where am I going to put that? Like, there are a lot of things that just in our can line, you know, it's not permanently set up. It's you know, we have to wheel it out. So, you know, there's a lot of those, uh, a lot of those considerations that we have to take into account. And so, you know, I would say probably in the cards for us, um, you know, a warehouse space or something like that where we can actually have you know a true production facility and space to be able to do that kind of stuff and have the storage space because it it takes so much time you know our cooler is too small you know it'll take mitch you know it's like tetris i mean he you know it takes him two hours (laughs) just to put stuff away because we have to move everything and then put it back so you know that's extra time that you could be doing something else and you know that's the kind of stuff that we deal with here because we don't have enough space and so it's just 
I mean, you can see the cans are over there. I mean, we're kind of busting at the seams and still trying to keep this tap room feel and you know have people have that brewery experience because you know it's important because um, not everybody wants to come in over to the restaurant. So it's like, well, you know, let's give them a raw. You know, right. and the barrels are right here, and you got all the tanks. So I mean, that's yeah, I that, that's what you know. If people want to come to a brewery, that's what they want to see. Sure, yeah. sure. Are you guys are you guys doing tours of the place? Have you got have you started that back up? It's really funny. I mean, I I laugh right <laughs> because I mean, literally, like, yeah. people are like, "Well, they'll call it like, how long does the tour take?" I'm like, "Oh, well." I mean, it depends on how much beer you drink. Right. You can stay with us for dinner, <laughs> right? I mean, if you whatever you want to do, but you know. Yeah. For me telling you the story, it's probably about 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, we're not like, uh, we're not New Belgium, right? I mean, yeah. if you ever get a chance to do that tour, yeah. it is, uh, it's, it's absolutely amazing. Like Fat Tire, I think, was one of the first 10 that really blew yeah. up my palate a little bit. Nice. In the craft beer scene. I nice. Mean, that was, uh, yeah, that was, uh, of course, it's not so good for the waistline, but, uh, you know. What is? Well, I, I mean, really, is any beer? You know, yeah. I don't care how low calorie it is. Yeah. It's still, yeah, it's still beer. Gotcha. Now, is and how often do you guys change up the menu each year? Do you do you have the beers in mind that kind of try to pair it, or you just you kind of leave it up to your person that's in charge of that side? And uh, so Kyle is our executive chef. We change the menu three to four times a year. Kind of, yeah. it just depends on. I don't know, right now, I mean, it's just crazy because every restaurant is coming back online in the United States, and so, I mean, there's real supply chain issues going on right now, so, you know, we'll see how all that pans out, um, but yeah, I mean, in general, we try to, like, keep things fresh and try to keep it as seasonal as we can, and um, yeah, so I would say three to four times a year we change out the menu, and, you know, the beer pairing thing, again, it kind of goes back to your consumer, right? I mean, do you we don't really get any extra points for the pairing thing because, and it's fine. People just want to drink what they want to drink. Like, sure, you know, I appreciate wine, and that's just I want to drink what I want to drink, and you know, I'm going to just drink a red if I want to drink a red, and I'm having fish. Like, I don't care, right? Yeah, you know, it's like, and so I think in general we've noticed that that's just what people they don't really care. I mean, if they want a suggestion, you know, our serving staff is they're great and they can provide that, but. You know, the pairings really aren't as important for people here, gotcha. at least. Gotcha. Well, last question. Um, what are you most excited about moving forward as we're moving to fall here? What what excites you guys the most here at Fort A. Ray? I would say pumpkin beers. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that is not for me. The pumpkin spice latte. No, no I don't, I, yeah, <laughs> that's not, that is exactly the opposite. Yeah. No, so we, we brew lagers here and like in Indiana, it hasn't caught on yet. Mm-hmm. On West and East Coast, I mean, people love them. They sell, yeah. you know. But people are not buying craft lagers in Indiana. But I mean, we're just going to brew them until people just, you know, decide one day is like, oh wow. I mean, this is really a viable style. And it's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we have a Vienna lager coming out. We call okay. it Amber Lager just to keep it simple for everybody, okay. so they can, you know, like Vienna Lager. Like, what is that? Like, no one knows what that is. So, you know, that goes back to the whole education thing we talked about. Yeah. So a lot of time we have more success with just keeping it simple and like it doesn't need to be some weird name and then people have to read it and then they can't like they're just like, oh, well, I'm not going to order that because I have no idea what that is. Yeah. But if it says strawberry lemonade blonde, that's really easy to decide if you want to drink that. Or sure. Not. Yeah. Okay. So we try to keep it simple. So the amber lager, you know, and it's 
goes really well with food. It's uh, basically kind of the lager version of that area that you're drinking right there. Very nice. It's, obviously, it's not as hoppy, but it has um, a malt, nice malt character to it. And so I'm excited for our lagers. And we're canning most of them, if not all of them, this season. So, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, Brian, thank you very much for doing this. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Come check him out. Four Day Ray, right here in the Nickel Plate District of Fishers, Indiana. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. Yep. Cheers. Cheers. All right. Thank you. Well, that's it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. For the latest on Financial Views with Local Brews, please check out our website at financialviewswithlocalbrews.com. You can also find us on YouTube via our channel there under the same name, Financial Views with Local Brews, as well as follow us on all of our social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, where you can like and connect with us throughout the craft beer universe that we're trying to explore here in the great state of Indiana. As always, cheers. The next round's on me, and I look forward to seeing you for future episodes. Bye, everyone.